Okay, so um, like I mentioned, uh, today's going to be a little bit of a pivoting place. So um, currently, we find ourselves awaiting the resurrection of the dead. This includes believers on earth and in the intermediate state. And we have for some time now, um, specifically the last 11 uh, sessions that we've spent on this, we've spent considering what life is like now for those in the intermediate state. Uh, So tonight, I want us to begin shifting our focus from the intermediate state to the eternal state. All right. And we're going to do that um, by reviewing the questions that we've looked at when we were when we were considering the intermediate state and how we might reshape those questions when we consider heaven eternal. All right. So from here on out in the study, unless I specifically say, hey, guys, we're back talking about a question related to the intermediate state. Just assume that from not from tonight forward, that what we're talking about when we're talking about heaven is heaven eternal heaven after the resurrection. Are you with me? All right. So um, we're going to begin reading tonight in Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 7. And this is just to kind of give us a place to, to start our discussion. Uh, after we read this, we're going to, I'm just going to kind of put out some questions that we've looked at over the past uh, several weeks as we've been looking at the uh, intermediate state, the intermediate heaven. And then we're going to think about how those questions might differ when we're looking towards heaven. So kind of the main question tonight um, that we're going to answer um, is, or we're not going to answer it. We're going to pose it. We're going to kind of put some thoughts out there with it. And then we're going to, over the next several weeks, be answering different Um, questions that will point back to this question and say yes or no uh, to to what what we're asking tonight. So the question that we're going to look at tonight, will anything about heaven change after the resurrection? Right? Uh, uh, Let's think about that for a second. Let you gather your thoughts on that. I'll say the, the question one more time in case you didn't hear me the first time. Will anything about heaven change after... The resurrection. Now, um, we're posing that question tonight, and we're going to ask some. We're going to ask some questions, and I'm going to raise a lot of questions. But really, the one thing that I want us to look at uh, tonight is going to be one thing that I want to assure you will not change between the intermediate state and heaven eternal, and it's going to be one of those. Going to be one of those ideas that is going to require some wrestling with. It's something that we have wrestled with a couple of times in the past in this study already, but um, I feel like every time that we do kind of bring this idea up, um, even though we approach it with Scripture, even though we, it's one of those things that it's difficult for us to fathom how, and as a result, Oftentimes we find ourselves kind of standing in this place of just doubting that it might be the case. So what we're going to look at tonight um, as we spend time in Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to be in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation primarily tonight. We're not just going to be in chapter 21. We're going to kind of go back into some of the earlier chapters and then move forward a little bit. Um, But what I want us to, to get a picture of as we start looking 
um, forward to heaven eternal in our discussions, I want us to, to start thinking about... Um, this is a good point because uh, this, this place in the book of Revelation, and, and I'll just stop talking and read it, uh, but this point is where um, it would be clear that this is that moment. Right. So just prior to Revelation chapter 21, we find the great white throne judgment. The resurrection has occurred. And then he's looking out beyond the resurrection. He's seeing this reality unfolding. And we see this um, as we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 7. So read with me, if you will, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I venture to say that... When we as a church collectively look forward to the moment that we most look forward to together, this is that moment. That moment when it will be said that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain For the former things have passed away. How many of you look forward to that reality? Look forward to a reality where death itself has been swallowed up in the victory of Christ. That we find these great promises that we look forward to fulfilled. I I imagine that's most of us, right? We look forward to that. So I want us to begin asking questions and, and attempting to answer questions that revolve around the moments that will follow that day, right? So I want you to begin imagining what life for us will look like in the moments following the graves bursting open and us finding ourselves together with Christ for eternity. Um, To do this, some of the questions that we have in the upcoming weeks are going to be similar to questions that we've asked in the past, except the answers 
may change a little bit. We'll see. This is why we're going to ask them again, and we're going to ask them in slightly different ways. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read you the questions that we've covered over the last 11 sessions, and then I'm going to try to give you ways to think about them or ways that we might think about how those questions could be thought of in regards to uh, heaven eternal. So question number one that we be, that we began uh, asking and, and trying to answer, do we experience heaven immediately after death? And how I would ask this, and this is, this is why kind of tonight's question is the way that it is, will anything about heaven change after the resurrection? So if you found yourself in the intermediate state now, what might you look forward to after the resurrection? And how might heaven change in that regard? So what will the experience of the eternal heaven be like? Like, what will it be likened to? What could we, what could we compare it to? Um, what experiences might we have experienced that um, would be similar there? This is, these are just kind of questions. I'm not intending to answer these, but these are just ways that I want to help us to reframe thinking about heaven in the intermediate state and heaven in the eternal state. So another question that we looked at is, is the intermediate heaven part of this universe? And we spent a couple of sessions talking about that. Um, and when I think about how this question might be reframed, um, I think along these lines, will the eternal heaven be a part of this universe or another? Right? Like, Will it be a part of the universe that we know? Or when he says, um, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, or the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, is he talking about wiping it completely clean and doing a whole new thing? Like, what is, what is that? What's he, what's he getting at when he says that? And then when I think about that, and I think about him seeing this from afar, I think, um, where exactly was he when he saw the new heaven and the new earth, like what was that vantage point like for him, right? Was he standing in the old heaven, new earth perspective, looking afar off? Was he standing in the new heaven, new earth? Was it somehow the new heaven and new earth coming forth from the old heaven, new earth, or old heaven, old earth? Like, what did that look like? What was that experience like? Um, how could that help us to think about heaven eternal? Another question that we thought about along the way was, is the uh, intermediate heaven a physical place? Um, and, and from that, we'll, we'll definitely kind of uh, approach, approach that uh, as we start thinking about the eternal state. Um, and what is the nature of the eternal state? Um, and why would it be different from the nature of the intermediate state. That's kind of a question, like why would there be a difference? What is the reason for any difference that might, that might come up there? Another question that we looked at was what is life like for those in heaven now? So what is life like for those in the, in the intermediate state now? Um, and then that just begs the question of what will life be like for us after the resurrection? Um, another question that we looked at is are those in heaven now aware of what is happening on earth now? And this leads very naturally into uh, a question about the eternal state, which is will we have any recollection at all of this world after the tears have been wiped away. Like what is what does that mean? How what in, in what way will this will this kind of trans transitional moment that we've read here in Revelation, how will that affect our knowledge and understanding of what took place 
in this world. Um, and another question that kind of we've ad- addressed in regards to the intermediate state, do those who are in heaven now pray for us who are on earth now? And when I think about that question, I think about what equivalent exists in the heaven eternal. And that causes me to think about prayer more generally, like what is prayer? Um, Because prayer for one another doesn't primarily revolve around trials or pain or evil or anything like that. But instead, prayer seems to revolve around community and communion with God and His people. So uh, I wonder, will we pray for one another's joy and communion with God to be magnified more and more in the eternal heaven? Like, will we find ourselves there on a day and me looking at you being like, I pray that you enjoy Him more tomorrow than you do today. And is that even possible? Is that something that we could consider um, a possibility? Um, another question that we, that we ask, if those in heaven are aware of what is happening on earth, then how could they be truly happy and full of joy knowing that evil exists? And this, kind of, this is one of those that um, we've touched on a couple of different times and we'll no doubt uh, address this idea um, probably more than once in the in the coming in the coming questions that will that will approach. So um, this is an important one for us. So um, in the eternal sense, like when we shift from like just do they are they aware of what's going on here and how might that affect their joy and happiness in heaven? Now that shifts that causes us to think forward to a time to where we find ourselves tears having been wiped away um, and. If we're aware of the events of this world, are we aware of those who are in hell then? How could we be truly happy, right? So like kind of thinking about that question and pushing that question forward. And um, with that, like that's kind of summarized the things that we've looked at as we've been considering the intermediate state and looking forward now how we might project those into questions regarding the eternal state. Um, I want to start us back in Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to work our way from 5 really quickly. Like, we're actually doing really good on time right now. Um, I don't imagine we'll be... Um, uh, we're, we're at least beyond the halfway point, right? So we're, we're doing good on time. Um, I say that, I may shoot myself in the foot with that statement. Hopefully not. Um, but with the idea, so so I want us to kind of... When we're going to spend some time lingering on this, um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to address one thing that will remain between heaven, the intermediate, and heaven, the eternal, um, who Christ is and what he's done is something that will remain. It's something that that was set in place before the foundation of the world. So before the beginning, this was the purpose of all that God was doing. And um, we're going to find this statement um, to be true. And we're going to start looking in Revelation uh, chapter 5 to see this. So I want us to begin this exploration of heaven eternal with one thing firmly planted in our minds, and that is that He, that is Christ, will be worshipped forever as the Lion and the Lamb. 
Okay? I'm going to say that again. If, and I'll say it like this. If you have a view of eternity that does not include the Lamb, and I don't just simply mean Jesus, but I mean our understanding of what it means when we call Him the Lamb. Like, what does it mean for Him to be the Lamb? Give, say this again. He's humble. Is that it? When we think about lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb what? Slain. So when we think about the Lamb, we think about sacrifice. Right. And specifically, when we look at Revelation chapter five here, what we're going to see is he's going to be like, it's all good, man. Because the lion and then he's going to look towards the lion and he's going to see lamb. As though he was slain. And what you're going to find if you were to read from where we're going to start in Revelation, you were just to progress forward to chapter 21, you're going to see him referred to again and again and again and again in the context of being the lamb slain, the one who is worthy, the one who is worthy of praise, the one who is worthy of honor, the one who is worthy of glory, the one who is worthy of the reward of his suffering, church. And that proceeds up to and beyond the resurrection. Right. And we're going to re- we're going to come back to chapter 21 where we find ourselves in that state after. And we're going to see how continually, even in that state, he's referred to as none other than the lamb. All right. And then from that, there's a lot of weightiness that comes with that. Right. Because if we worship him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world into eternity, then we don't do that with no understanding of what it means for him to be the lamb, right? For him to be the one who was slain. Like, though you can't have one without the other. And that's why why oftentimes there's that tension with it is because we can't grasp in our minds how we might know that reality and still find ourselves enjoying eternity, Right? Um, that's one of that. This is time and time again, like as I talk with people after each of these, this is one of those things that like it warrants us just kind of finding ourselves again and again coming back to it. Because the thing that we need to remind ourselves and it, again, it's one of the reasons that I want to point us at the text when we see this. I want you to see it from the text is because what you will not be able to avoid is the lamb, the lamb slain. And this is from now through judgment into all of eternity. You will worship him as the lamb slain. You will remember and glorify him for the work that he did on the cross. He chose to make himself known to us most clearly to glorify himself most glorified in the work of the cross. It would be foolish of us to think that we would then step forward into eternity and want to give that up, that knowledge of who he is and what he has done. Um, So I want to just continue to uh, attempt to 
convince you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to knowledge of the work that Christ has done because the knowledge of the work that Christ has done includes the sins that you've committed. You will be in eternity because He chose to take them upon Himself. And you will glorify Him for that. You should glorify Him for that. You should not wish that He not be known for the greatest work in history. Like the greatest moment in history was both the pinnacle of God's working to save His bride as well as a demonstration of the darkness that pervades who we are without Him. So, Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw what? I saw a lamb. So he says, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looks and he says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we're going to we're going to move quickly. So jump on down to Revelation five verses nine and ten. We're just going to kind of get an idea of what's said about this lamb as we as we kind of progress forward. We're trying to get get back to chapter 21. So just follow along with me and just observe this lamb that was standing as though he has been slain, the lamb that took the scroll, the lamb who was worthy to open it, to break the seals of this scroll. In Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10, we see, And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Is it evident to us who this is speaking of? Is there qu- this is Jesus. If you're, if you're unaware, this is Jesus that it's speaking of here. He is the one who was slain. He is the one whose blood ransomed the people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. This is Jesus, right? Continuing on, Revelation 5, um, 9-12, through 12, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you... Oh, excuse me. I'm going to jump down a little bit here. We hit 10. Let's look at 11. And then I looked and I heard around the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So if you, again, if you read, there is great emphasis put on Him, this Jesus, as the Lamb, the Lamb slain, the one who is worthy because of the work that He's done. Like they're glorifying Him for the work that He's done. Can you separate sin and still be able to fully understand the work that He has done? Can you, can you separate your, your sin and fully glorify Him, fully understand the work that He has done? Would it be diminishing? Would your worship of Him diminish if you no longer remembered who it was that He saved you from? What it was that He saved you from? I would go so far as to say is that your worship of Him, the worship that He is worthy of, would in fact be diminished if you removed your understanding of what it is that He had done for you. Right? It would be equivalent to putting you back in a state of the way that you were before you knew you needed Him. You were in that state unaware of who you were. But He, through the preaching of the Gospel, through the working of the Holy Spirit, brought to your mind, to your heart, your depravity, called you from it to be His, promised to keep you and to transform you, and then... To think that you would find yourself having reached the end of that. Him having finished that work that He completed in you. And then in that moment, wiped away from you. Careful there. Careful there. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 17. Go ahead and turn with me there. Not only was He the Lamb slain. Look at this. This is Revelation 6, starting in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of The lion? The wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Like this lamb. This lamb, church. Revelation chapter 21. So we're back now where we started. But we're going to go through this entire chapter and into the next. We're just going to read through it quickly. I'm going to point out things along the way here. The, the point that I want you to take away from this, right? Like as we get into the conclusion, I want to lay it out there for you. Um, I put it out at the beginning. I want you to be looking for it as we go through this text because it is going to just jump off the page as we read it. He will be worshipped forever as the lion and the lamb. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the reward of His suffering. Read with me. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Where are we? Where are we in this moment? We are at that place that we hope for so dearly, that we look forward to so earnestly. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he would tell us trustworthy and true words? I sure hope so. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 9, I'm going to point out some things along the way as we go through this. So uh, read along with me, pay attention as we, as we get there. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of, seven, of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride. Who is that? That's us. The wife of the Lamb. We are the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Um, we're going to speak about, there's some questions that we have coming um, in a future session relating to uh, relationships in heaven, specifically husbands and wives. And, and uh, I've had someone ask me a question like, is there going to be marriage in heaven? Um, or, or what does that look like? Um, and what I would say is, what does this say? What does this say? The wife of the Lamb. Okay, um, and, and when we get to that session, we're, we'll dig into this more. Um, but uh, Scripture is clear that marriage on earth um, is a uh, mystery revealed in the way that husbands treat wives, in the way wives relate to husbands is pointing to the reflection of Christ and His church. Like marriage itself was not the point. It was pointing to the point. The bride. We are the bride. We are the wife of the Lamb. Will there be marriage in heaven? <laughs> there will be the marriage of the bride of Christ with Christ. The Lamb. The Lamb. Verse 10. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and the gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Now, um, 
We're going to come back to this at some point in the future. But I want you to get a picture of this city and the description of this city. And there are names on it. There are specific names that have specific meaning and, and intend to convey to us a specific understanding that if you were to wipe memory of this world, they would lose significance. Names written in the city of God that point back to events that took place in this world. Do you all see that here? Right? We'll go into to detail when we get to that particular question. But I just want to point that out as we're reading here. And this is a city that this is where we're going to dwell with God. God with us for all of eternity on the gates. The names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel are inscribed. Verse 13, and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So it's speaking here in context of Christ, of the city, of these foundations, and it speaks of Him as the Lamb. It also speaks of the twelve apostles here. Right? These 12 foundations and on the 12 foundations, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Right? Like in the very city of God. Reminders that will point back to events that took place here on earth. Verse 15. Now actually, let's, let's jump on down. Um, fast forward a little bit in the text. Go to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Okay, so we find ourselves this city, no temple, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Is there significance in that? And there is there significance in that? I, I believe there is. I believe that it's important as well that he starts with, there is one worthy back in chapter 5, and he's looking, and when he looks and sets eyes on the lion, he sees a lamb as though it were slain. And then throughout the rest of the book, up into where we're at now, he continues referring to the lamb, the lamb, the one who is worthy, right? On into and beyond the resurrection, the lamb is still worthy. The lamb is still the Lamb, and worthy of worship for all that He has done, for all that He is. Verse 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Again, like there's going to be a lot of questions that we answer in the future that are going to, that are going to come specifically out of this text here. Um, uh, that wording there is very interesting to me. It has me asking all kind of questions. So uh, verse 23, just to, to go back and reread it. Um, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Again, this usage of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? This is Jesus here. The light of the city is the Lamb. By its lights will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And, and they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Lots of questions coming out of this as I read this. Um, verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Like your ability to go into this city is dependent upon a book. And this book is referred to here as the Lamb's book. The Lamb's book of life. Continuing into Revelation chapter 22, and we're getting super close now. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, like it shouldn't surprise you that we see it so much now as a, as every time I read it, a dramatic pause prior to saying the Lamb, right? <laughs> so you should be looking for it if you haven't been. So the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruits each month, each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. Worship who? The Lamb. You will, in eternity, worship the Lamb. The one who, was, who it is said He was the Lamb slain. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So, in conclusion... As we pivot now to looking at questions related to heaven eternal, the ideas that we've looked at tonight are going to permeate through everything that we look at. Every way that I answer those questions or attempt to answer those questions will be shaped, molded, and guided by this reality. That he will be worshipped forever as the lion and the lamb. We will together say worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive the reward of his suffering. We'll close there.